Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. So, this morning, like I said, you know, we're going to start this uh, new series, the, the book of Romans. So, what we are going to do is that we're going to look at a lot of, you know, um, doctrines that are mentioned and concepts that come out from the book of Romans. Amen. So, the book of Romans is a letter. You know, the book of Romans is a letter, and uh, letters in the Bible are called episodes. You know, an episode is a letter. So, to understand a letter or any other communication that was sent to people, we need to understand the context within which it was written. You know, we need to understand why was this letter written. I remember, you know, a long time ago before the time of Facebook, before the time of uh, all these texting and stuff like that, many times when you are proposing, we wrote girls' letters. You know, and uh, she would read it. And she would understand because it's a letter. But after many, many years, you know, if that letter was taken and read by somebody else, it would mean something completely different from what it was meant for if the person does not understand. For example, our kids today, they don't know that actually people wrote letters. So if I told my daughter, she would be like, what, what is a letter, dad? And I'm like, a letter is, a, you write a letter, you post it in the, some people have not even been to a post office. They don't know what a stamp is. Now you can imagine, if, if we tell people, we used to write letters. Now, the Bible, the New Testament, three quarters of the New Testament is written as letters that were written to a church by an apostle to encourage the people to give them direction and to help the church because they couldn't be there. So sometimes it helps a lot if you can know that what you are reading was meant for something. Just knowing that it was a letter and knowing that it was written because of. That is why when you read these letters, most of them, some of the letters, like the book of Corinthians, for example, Paul is saying, I am writing you because of the people from the house of Chloe. They came to me and they told me that amongst yourselves, there is one, two, three things happening. And this is how you have to handle that. So, for you to understand a letter, you really need to understand what this letter was all about. That is why when you take just a little bit out of the letter, most of the times, it doesn't mean much. Because you are taking stuff out of the context. The second thing that is very important is sometimes it also helps to know who wrote the letter. Because most of the times... Someone's personality comes out in a letter. You see that? When, when, when I write a letter, and when G writes a letter, when Pastor Mlifi writes a letter, it's very different. Myself, when I write a letter, most of the times, I don't say hi. I just start writing. And then my wife says, but you know what? You must greet people. Before you write. And I'm like, oh, I do. Because it's my personality. I'm just so direct. So now what happens is that I write the whole sentence. Then I back up and say hi. <laughs> you see that? Because it's my personality. Sometimes even the, the personality of the person that wrote the letter. Usually, you know, comes out in the letter itself. 
So the, the, so the book of Romans, the book of Romans was written by a guy called Paul, uh, Paul the Apostle. And uh, it was written whilst he was in a place called Corinth. And by the time that Paul was writing this letter, he had never been to Corinth. You know, he had never seen, he has never seen these people that he was writing this letter to. And so, all those details, you know, are very, very important as we are going to read, as we are going to be talking about um, this later. Okay, thank you so much, G. Really appreciate it. Let's give G a hand. <clears throat> so, for us to understand this later for, or any other communication, we really need to have a few things figured out because those things, they lay the foundation of what is going to make things easy for us to understand. You see, you must also understand that when somebody is talking, they think in the language that they speak. And when they write, many times they write in the way that they think. That is why I have noticed, for example, many times you would find that uh, when we are playing a Zulu song and somebody has to translate it into English, what usually happens is that because the person was thinking in Zulu, when they write in English, the English is correct. But most of the times, an English person would find it difficult to understand what that sentence means. You know why? Because the person who wrote it is not English. But the person who is Zulu is going to be able to understand what that person is saying in that uh, English uh, sentence. So we need to know a lot of things around a book around a letter, around a communication, if you want to get to understand, you know, uh, the book. The third thing that you need, so you need to know the person who wrote it, you know. The third thing is that you also need to know what is happening around the time that this book is being written. So I will give you a very good example there's a lot of people that have preached a message from the book of Matthew chapter 16. In the book of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is asking his disciples and he is saying to them, who do people say I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But Jesus makes a statement. He says, you are Peter and on this Rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know that scripture, isn't it? So, I have heard people say that us as Christians, our prayers or whatever we do, you know, is able to break the gates of Satan when Satan is defending himself. You've heard the thing like that, isn't it? Because it gives an impression that there is a gate that will not stand against us when we pray. And so there are these people that do what is called intercession prayers and they go to the mountains and they go to break the gates of hell. And so they pray so hard that the gates of hell break. Hmm. That is not true. Because during Jesus' time, and even before Jesus' time, the gates of the city, that is where the municipality, and that is where all the authorities of the city used to have offices. And they used to sit there to plan so they would sit there and they would plan about a lot of things. In the book of Proverbs chapter 31, 
the Bible says that there is a woman there whose, whose husband is known at the gates. What it means is that that man used to be one of the important people that sat at the gates. So when you say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are not talking about anything violent or anything. You are just saying that the plans that the devil makes at the gates will not prevail against it. But because somebody does not understand the time that the Bible was written, that Jesus is mentioning the word get to you. The get is that thing that you open at the house. And for you to, 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 to think now, you are thinking if Jesus is saying the gates of hell shall not prevail, it means that I can break these gates of Satan. And here you are, faithfully wrong. Spending three hours trying to break the gates of hell and the devil is looking at you and is like, my friend, there is no gate. Jesus is talking about the plans of Satan that they will not prevail against his church. Period. It's got nothing to do with prayer. It's got everything to do with the plans that the enemy sits at the gates. It was an expression of speech. You are saying that the plans that are made, just like the people that sit in those places, the mayor's office was at the gate. The governor's office was at the gate. Everyone important used to sit at the gate. So when you are reading the book of Romans, there are a lot of concepts that you and myself, because we are living so far away from the time that it was written, it's very easy for you to see something and not see what it is. Like you can see the gates there and not see what it is. There's a passage of scripture in the Bible where Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, I want you to go into the city. I want you to go to the well. And there I want you to find a man and ask that man, that we should go to his house and have holy communion in his house. And the disciples went to the well, and they stood by the well. And the man came, and they asked him, can we have holy communion at your house? The man said, of course, let's go and have holy communion. Now you and myself, because we don't, we probably may not understand what is going on. It's very easy to think that Jesus used a prophetic knowledge to know that there's going to come a man at the well and then we should ask him to go to his house. No, he didn't. In his time, men didn't draw water. So any man that would come to draw water, it meant that he was a bachelor. So it's easy to ask a bachelor, let's go and hang out at your house. You see how easy it is when you know, eh? So when, when, when you are reading this material, it's very difficult for you to see what is going on here. That is why you, you would find that a lot of us can be Christians for a very long time and we can quote scripture from left to right and center, but we actually don't understand what we are talking about. That is why in the book of Acts, there's a guy that is reading the book of Isaiah and he is reading that there was this... Uh, uh, prophet and this and that and then the Holy Spirit said to Philip go and speak to that guy and they went to speak to him and said hey do you understand that he says I can't understand if there is nobody to interpret what I am reading so that is why you are very lucky and you are very blessed because you have me I can interpret things isn't it just like any other church has a pastor who can interpret the things. Because many times, people become very zealous, but they don't understand what they are zealous about. 
And myself, when I see very, very zealous people, until I speak to them, I want your zeal to be accompanied by knowledge. If you are just very zealous, you are dangerous. Because when a person is very zealous and they don't have knowledge, they can mislead people. They can take people astray. Like, let's go and break the gates of hell. Like the whole three days at the mountain, no eating, just sweating. But no, there are no gates there. As you come home, nothing, little happening in somebody's life. And then you are wondering, why is it possible that somebody can be that zealous in the things of the Lord, and then there is not much happening in their lives, not knowing that they don't understand what they are reading in the Bible. So when we are reading the book of Romans, I am just dramatizing these things because the next five weeks, we are going to be looking at some things in the book of Romans. And it is important that when we, stay, we start talking about these things, you are going to start to understand that, oh, so that is what Paul mentioned about that. You know? Um, so, the reason why Paul, for example, sat down and wrote the book is simply because he just realized, you know, these guys are in the Lord, but they don't understand certain things about what is happening in the Lord. You know? So, what did he do? He wanted to help them to have direction and to be encouraged and to be able to uh, strengthen the community of faith that they were building. So, as we start this morning with the book of Romans, the other thing that I want to mention is the city, Rome itself. When you look at the city of Rome, it also helps you to understand certain things that Paul is talking about because these things were happening in the city where Paul was. Rome was one of the biggest cities in the world at the time. The only thing is that Rome was a city of Gentiles, not a city of Jewish people. Which meant that, you see, you remember in the book of Acts, there was a time in the book of Acts when the people became Christians. The Bible says there was Gentiles and non-Gentiles, which were Jewish people. The Jewish people used to look down on the Gentile Christians. And they used to tell them, you need to follow the laws of the Jewish people for Christ to accept you. Until Paul and other people came and said, no, 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 no. That is not what we need to do. Now, in the city of Rome, it was flipped. It was the Jewish people that were being looked down upon because they were in the minority. So that is why, for example, when the Bible says there is no Jew and there is no Greek or there is no Gentile, there is no female and there is no male, there is no slave and there is no free person. You and myself, it's very easy to miss what is being spoken to because in that city, it was very prominent that people lived segregated lives. And only the church brought Jews and Gentiles together. Does that make any sense? The people also, women and men, didn't have any context where they can meet together except in the family. But in the church, he says, no, 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 we will do that. So it was a lot of things that they had to counter because of Christ in their lives. So, when we are reading the book of Romans, we need to have all these things, <laughs> excuse me, in the background because they will help you to understand the doctrines. For example, they will, they will help you to understand the relationships between male and female people. You know, they will, they will help you to understand the relationship between uh, somebody who works for you and somebody who is the boss. You as a Christian, you are able to know because of that. Because in the book of Romans, 
those things are written. Now, this morning, I want us to start, as we are looking at the book of Romans, I want us to start with three things that uh, uh, come out from the first chapter, maybe until around about chapter four. These three things are very, very prominent. We are going to look at how Paul is using the Old Testament, which is a Jewish doc, doc, uh, document, to bring Christ and show the Gentiles that what is written here is about this. And fuse these things together so that the Gentile and the Jew, both of them understand the centrality of Christ in the things that they were doing. You see, that helps us to have a very clear perspective because there are a lot of people as well that some of them discard the, whole, the Old Testament completely. And there are certain people that discard the New Testament completely. But when you take these two documents and put them together, then you realize that it is actually one document in one place. Christ was just a shadow. In here, Christ is now real. That is why when you are reading the Old Testament, there are concepts there as well that are talking about Jesus until you have certain eyes to see, you will see that they are talking about Jesus. And that is why Paul was able to take this document and help people to understand that what is written here is talking about this Jesus that uh, uh, I, I am preaching. Now, the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is that uh, Paul, in this... In this uh, Script in, in this book, he raises a lot of issues that can be sometimes even problematic within our, our societies. Because he addressed some of societal problems, as you can see in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he is actually even talking about sexual, what we now call sexual orientation. You know, when you read chapter 1 of the book of Romans, you will see that Paul is talking about that. So don't think that what we are having today is something new, you know? And um, you will also see that uh, as he goes on, he is talking about the importance of us understanding that salvation is for everyone. Now, the three things that I want us to look at this morning, the first one is the gospel. In the book of Romans, there is something called the gospel that Paul is talking about so many times. Every time he speaks, he says, I was called to the gospel. I am this and that, the gospel. I am this, the gospel. What is the gospel? The second thing is, I want us to look at what Paul meant. What did Paul mean when he says that in the book of, first, uh, in the book of uh, Romans in chapter 1, when he says that some people suppress the truth? What is to suppress the truth? And then we are going to look at the righteousness of God. And I hope that, um, yeah, we still have time to do all that. Now, in the book of, let's start to, to read the scriptures. In the book of Romans chapter 1, 16. That's a very big verse in the book of, the whole of Romans. This is like one of the giant verses. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So you can already see, if you just browse through here, why would Paul mention that it is for everyone? It is for the Jew and it is for the Gentile. Why is he mentioning that? Because there was a lot of confusion that people thought that when you are Jewish, you needed a different gospel. When you are a Gentile, you needed a... a but Paul is saying in Christ Jesus, the gospel is for everyone. 
is for everyone. That is why there is a very big problem within our African context as well, that in many times it sounds very good. When people think that when you are an African, they even say that there is a gospel for African people. There is nothing like that. There is no gospel for Africans. There is no gospel for Europeans. There is no gospel for Jewish people. You are an African and you need to express your Christianity within the culture of being an African. But you don't need a different gospel. You need the same Christ that a Jewish, that a European, that an American needs, except that you as an African, you will express your Christianity within the context of being an African. I hear a lot of people know this. Don't believe about that little picture that we see of a white guy with long hair. That, that is not Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. Don't, don't hate Jesus because someone is taking a picture of an American guy and say that is Jesus. That is not Jesus. It's a guy in Hollywood. If, if, you are going, if, if we were to be very serious about, about Jesus, he, he would probably look more like Salah. You know Salah from Egypt. You know, you know Salah, the guy that plays soccer. I think Jesus would look more like Salah, not with very long hair, but also with a certain type of hair because he was from the Middle East. Not that blonde long hair, but so a lot of people, because the world has given us that kind of Jesus, they hate Jesus because they say it is a white man's religion. Christianity is not a white man's religion. That is why the Bible says the gospel of, I am not ashamed of this gospel. Why? Because it's a gospel for everyone. A Chinese needs this gospel. A guy from Uganda needs this gospel. So that's why Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed. Why? Because he's saying it's for everyone. Because in that space, you needed to identify with one side of things. You needed to identify with one, whether we are Jew or you are Greek or whatever, but Paul is saying, no, 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 ladies and gentlemen, this gospel is for everyone. Now, the word gospel means good news. So why is it good news? It is not good news to Africans alone. It is not good news to Americans alone. It is good news to everybody. There is a reason why the gospel is called good news. And I've heard, you know, Alan Platt usually says that good news is only good news when it is good news. You see, you see what I mean? Now, good news can only be good news. If what it is announcing is to your advantage. And what a lot of people don't know is that the, the gospel is called good news because of what Jesus did puts you and myself at an advantage as we live our lives right now here. So the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ is in three forms. It's good news because of what happened. If somebody came to you and said, oh, because of your uncle that died a couple of months ago, you have inherited three million rands. That is good news because of what happened. Obviously, your uncle dying is not the good news. The part of the good news is what he left you. So the good news of Jesus Christ is good news because of what he did, what happened. But it is also good news because of what is happening right now because of what happened. And this is where many of us miss it. We believe Christ died for us. We believe it is good news that he died for us. But we don't believe that it has an effect on our lives right here, right now. We usually project it to the future. We say it will be good news because of what will happen. 
So remember, it is good news because of what he did. It is good news because of what he did is doing certain things to you and me right now. That is why it is good news. It is also good news because of what it will do for you in the future. So the good news in the Bible, when Paul is talking about, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for both Jew and Gentile, and it is the good news now, it's because of what Christ did on the cross. If Christ did not die on the cross, there wasn't going to be news. If your uncle didn't leave the three million, there wasn't going to be good news. But here is a kicker. There is a very big possibility. It can be good news there, but not good news now. Do you know how it cannot be good news now? You can choose to keep the three million rand in the bank. That is why people can choose not to follow Christ now. Is it still good news? It is good news. But what they have done is that they have not taken advantage of the good news. So yes, the money was left for you, but the money is still held up in the bank. Is it going to be good news when you go to shop right? Potentially, yes, because you could go to ShopRite and fill a trolley with food. But because the money is in the bank, ShopRite will refuse to give you the food. They will say, no, sorry, you can't get this food. Is it still good news for you? Yes, it is still good news. But the problem is that you have refused to take advantage of the good news. That is what is going to happen in future. For other people when they stand in front of God and God will ask them, yes, it was good news and it was announced and you heard about it, but you never cashed the check. You never put in the ATM and take what is yours. Are you seeing what I mean? So, when Paul is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, he means that this gospel... Why it is called the gospel, it's because the gospel is good news for what he did, what he is doing, and what it will do for you. The second thing that is very, very pro prominent in this passage, in, yeah, the second thing is that Paul is talking about suppressing the truth. I've already alluded to a little bit of suppressing the truth. You see, in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, there's a very depressing situation going on there. It says, for the wrath of God. You see that? The anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, when you go down that passage of scripture, that's where he's talking about all these uh, uh, stuff that I was talking about, the orientations and stuff like that. But I don't want to dwell on that. I want to dwell on what does Paul mean when he say there are people who are going to encounter the wrath of God because they suppress the truth of God. Because what is known is able to be known. Ladies and gentlemen, God's witness is always in our hearts. Our hearts are the biggest witness, witnesses for God. And our minds are the biggest witnesses for God. What we, what we do is this. What Paul is talking about is this. You and myself were created by God and he has left his witness in our hearts. Every time we do something wrong, you, you know that it's wrong. 
But you know what you do? You suppress it. That's what the, the Bible is talking about. He says the wrath of God is going to come on you. Not because of anything, but because you choose. You know that... <clears throat> You, you can't tell me that you didn't drive from Pretoria to go to Polokwane. And what you did, in, even when you were driving, you were suppressing. Like, like really suppressing. You, because you knew what you are going there for is not the right thing. So what Paul is saying here is that many of us, we know. This, there is a God. This is a great God. This is a mighty God. But we know what we need to do. We know what we are supposed to do. We know what we are not supposed to do. But what happens is we suppress the truth. I sit me as a pastor in front of a lot of people when they're telling me something. And I just know they are suppressing. Because they know. They themselves can even tell you ab about, but they find an angle. You know, always an angle. You know, you, 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 know, you, you know, a baby of one day, one day, just being born. Can I take it deeper? Yeah. If a baby of one day can be held by the mother without the mother saying anything to the baby puts a breast next to the baby the baby sucks it and knows that this is my food how much more an adult like you know how to use the parts of your body for the right things You, you, you just suppress. The truth of the matter is that you know. You, you can't tell somebody, no, no me, I, I was, you were what? <laughs> you are just suppressing. One old baby takes a mother's breast, sucks, knows there's going to be milk out of this place. But you, 28 years old, you don't know yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are suppressing. Somebody who goes out and takes a gun and blows somebody's head, they are suppressing. Why do they go to go and find help? You, when you, when you insult your pastor, you are suppressing. You know it's not right. Yeah, you know. If everybody who is doing funny stuff, the Bible is, is very clear here. It says God did not leave himself without witness to such an extent that even nature itself is telling you that this is how things are supposed to do. This is how things are not supposed to do. But because you suppress things, then you just go against what you're supposed to do. The Bible says the wrath of God will come. You know why it will come upon you? Because you know. You know. No, nobody can, can, go, can go into a hotel room with somebody's wife and not know that this is wrong. It, they, are, they know it's wrong. You can't do that with somebody's husband or somebody's wife and still be okay. You're going, you go that, that drive going home, you know you've done something wrong. Yes. But you know what you do? You play loud music. <laughs> the loud music is not because you are enjoying the loud music. You are playing the loud music to suppress what you have done so that you can make yourself feel better. Yes. Yeah, that's what, that's what I wanted to say. That's what we do. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what we do. That's what they do. You suppress. 
Era sapresi. So, so that passage of scripture is very, very powerful. Because it helps us to understand that us as human beings, God created us in a certain way. The problem is that we have a, a will and we can do something wrong. But even if we do something wrong, there is that thing underneath that usually tells us, man, this is not right. But you know what happens? The Bible says in the book of Timothy that you suppress it so many times that your conscience becomes seared. You know what it means to be seared? What it means, you know, you know me, I grew up in the village. So when you are doing very hard labor, your hands become seared. They create a protective layer to, to protect yourself from being hurt when you are doing hard labor. So what happens is that when you do it over and over and over and over, the very first time the voice is going to be louder. The second time, not that loud. The fourth time, the voice may not even be there. It doesn't mean that the witness has gone. It's still there, but you have suppressed it so many times that now it becomes a normal thing. Let us, let us finish with the third thing. So I have spoken about two things this morning. The gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. And what is the good news? Good news is good news because it is good for you. And then we talked about suppressing things. We suppress things from the heart, even when we know it's the wrong thing. The third thing is he talks about, uh, he talks about, uh, there's, a, there's a scripture in the book of Romans chapter 2, 12 to 16. I won't read it. It's talking about suppressing. It's talking about people that can follow the law without being told about the law because that's how we were created. You can read it in your own time. But let's look at the last, the, the last thing and we'll uh, close. This is a five-installment uh, seri five series. So these concepts, we'll repeat them over and over. If you don't get it this day, you will get it another time. Amen? Because we'll talk a lot about all these things. Now, in, in the book of Romans chapter 116, what we read also is that, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone, who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Then it says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So what, what is the righteousness of God? You see, the righteousness of God is in two forms. It, the righteousness of God is the righteousness of God, how righteous God is. But also it is the standard of righteousness that he expects you to live by. Which becomes a little bit of a confusing issue. Now, God is righteous. And in his righteousness, he cannot tolerate sin to go unpunished. So, when God created you and me... He created us to live in a particular way. And when we sin, that sin cannot go unpunished. But remember, because he is righteous, because God is righteous, he demands that the sin must be punished, that every wrongdoing must be punished and completely eradicated. However, the second part of God's righteousness is this. He had to find a solution for you and myself. So what is happening here is that God is righteous and he can't leave sin unpunished. But because he is righteous, he can't let you and me get punished without him finding a solution for us. And what was that solution? The solution is Jesus Christ. So this is how it works. If you have Christ, the righteousness of God that is on Christ, there is an exchange of righteousness and the righteousness of God 
comes upon you. So when you are walking around, you are not walking around because of the righteousness that comes out of an accumulated doing good. You are not righteous because you have been doing a lot of good. And that is what is causing a lot of people not to live victorious lives. Because when they do something wrong, they feel that they are wrong and they are bad people. Because they are using their own righteousness. Your righteousness is the righteousness of God. Through Christ Jesus, what happened is that Christ took your sinful nature. He took your sins. He took your, your, your guilt. You were meant for prison. He says, I will go so you can go out. So you cannot be going around. You know, he's in prison and just one day you are rushing for a meeting, you pass through the red robot and then you start feeling that, man, I'm a bad person. You are not a bad person. You just didn't obey the robot. Next time, just do that. So God is righteous and he didn't leave us without a solution for what his law and what his nature demands for the sins that we commit. And let, let me also mention it as we finish. Your sins that Jesus paid for are again in those three concepts. He died for your sins in the past, but he dies, he died for your sins that you are committing right now. And he will die, he died for the sins that you will commit in the future. So, Jesus doesn't have to die every day. He died once. And when he died once, it's for the past, for the present, and for the future. You know, when we grew up in the church, they taught us that every single night, you must confess your sins. Because you may die in your sleep and you will go to hell if Jesus hasn't cleansed your sins. Ladies and gentlemen, your sins don't get cleansed every single day. Your sins were cleansed on the cross, final, like they say in Africans, kla. Amen? Kla. When, 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 you are, when you are talking to God about your sins, you are not talking to God that he should forgive you your sins to get you into heaven. You are talking to him about your sins because you have a relationship with him. And you are telling him that you have done something wrong. You are sorry. But it doesn't mean that that is because you have told him if you forgot, then you are going to hell. You will not go to hell if you are a child of God and you are in Christ. Because the righteousness of God is upon you. That is why this guy is saying, I am not ashamed of this stuff that I'm telling you about. Because there were people that were saying, this can't be true. It just sounds too good to be true. The truth of the matter is that that is why it's good news. Because it's too good to be true. If you are, I'm not talking about people that are suppressing the truth. I'm talking about people that have stopped by the cross and they have acknowledged that they are sinners and now they are walking with Christ. These people are going to heaven, but I can tell you these people sometimes do wrong things. But it doesn't mean that the wrong things that you're going to do are the things that are going to take you to hell. No. It doesn't work that way. The righteousness of God is upon you through Christ Jesus who took your sins away and now he gave you his status and you took your status and you put it upon him. Does that make any sense? So as you are walking around this morning, Walk around with a spring on your heels because you are a righteous man. 
and you are a righteous woman. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? So as we are going to continue, we are going to look at so many things in this part, in this scripture. I mean in this uh, uh, book that some of them, like I have said in the past, I've used the big word in the past. Let me use it again. Some of the things we will talk about will flabbergast you. <laughs> Amen. Because, because, because you see the book of Romans is so rich and is so deep and some of the truths are just too deep to just know that this is how much God loves us. Do you mind if we can stand? Let us stand. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. I pray that uh, it is my my uh, humble request. It is my humble request. And I, I pray that uh, if you can please uh, take my humble request. I would like every one of us, every one of us during this month of September to read the book of Acts, the book of Romans. If you can read a chapter or two, it's got about 16 chapters. If you can read a chapter or two in a day, you will be able to finish it. Let's, let's read the book of Acts, I mean Romans. It's going to help you when we, when we talk about these things. You'll be like, okay. So this is what Pastor Ken was talking about. It's going to do a lot of good for you and your work with the Lord. Can we do that? Amen. You said yes. So you will read. Amen. Let, let me just pray as we are going to go out this, this morning. Father, we thank you so much this morning. We give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. Thank you so much for the love that you have for us. Thank you that, Lord, you haven't left us without a witness in our hearts. That even sometimes when we claim not to know, you, Lord, you know. Even when we claim not to know, dear Lord, we know that you have left a witness in our hearts and we know. That is why we pray this morning in Jesus' name that Lord Holy Spirit, as we continue in the book of Romans, that this journey, Lord, as we get to the other side of our journey, we will come out, dear Lord, equipped in our walk with you. Thank you for the love that you have for us, that our righteousness is not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of God. Thank you for your righteousness that is upon us, because we know that every time we are in you, Lord, we are righteous people. So we pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.